In this episode of the podcast, we're looking at the history of edibles, albeit briefly, and making bang tea with something that you might have at home. Fresh flour if you've been harvesting your plants, but you can still do it with decarbed weed as well. Welcome to Bite Me, the show about edibles, where I help you take control of your high life. I'm your host, Marge, and I just want to say thanks for being here, you guys. If it wasn't for you, I'd be talking to myself in this room right now, looking out the window, and that seems just kind of sad right now. I'm not going to lie, you guys, I am really tired today, and at the time of this recording, it's pretty rainy out right now. It's a, a dreary October day. This episode probably won't be going live though until end of October, maybe even early November. I'm not sure yet. I have to look at the calendar. But recently I switched to some decaf coffee because I've been listening, I listened to a lot of podcasts and some health and fitness podcasts I was listening to suggested that if you drink a lot of coffee, then it's sometimes it's wise to take a break from the caffeine. And as most of you probably know, caffeine is a stimulant and it's a drug in essence. It changes your state a little bit. So it can be classified as a drug, although it is one that is widely accepted and used everywhere all over the world. And I'm not going to lie, I appreciate that particular little morning pick-me-up, but I don't think I realized how much I was drinking in the mornings until I switched to this decaf. Because yesterday, I'm pretty sure I had a really bad de- like um, coffee headache from the lack of caffeine. And today, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And even though I drank the same amount of coffee in the morning as I normally do with the decaf, I'm certainly not getting as much caffeine. And, it's, and it shows. As some of you may or may not know, I didn't actually know this probably until very recently, like maybe even this year. Fun fact for 2020, as if 2020 couldn't get any worse, decaf actually still has like 30 to 40% caffeine in it or something like that. There's still quite a bit quite a bit of caffeine in decaf coffee. And it can be pretty hard to find decaf that has almost no caffeine. So I am still getting some caffeine, but it's just telling me, holy shit, Margaret, you really need to dial back on the morning coffee drinking. And I say to myself, but I'm only drinking two cups of coffee every morning. But here's the thing, that mug of coffee that I'm using, that mug is probably at least two cups. So I've calculated just today that I'm probably drinking a liter of coffee in the morning. That's a lot. I think that's a lot. Does that sound like a lot to you? That sounds like a lot to me, a liter of coffee. That's a lot of coffee. That's like, if you're drinking water, that's four cups of water. Or think of like those big, it's not a two liter. Think of a two liter, cut that in half. That's how much coffee I'm drinking in the morning. So yeah, no wonder why I'm dragging my ass today. Holy... In any case, I will survive. I'm sure if I give myself a few days, I will become more accustomed to the reduction of caffeine intake. And I'm sure that's just going to be better for me because clearly I need to find alternative ways to boost my energy than just jacking myself up on caffeine. Probably also doesn't help that not that long ago, I had a bunch of bread. I've been making a lot of bread as of late and it's just so damn good. Sometimes I just want to eat it. And then sometimes I think that probably makes me tired too. Maybe it's just my body digesting fast amounts of bread without the caffeine boost that it normally has. And anyway, in any case, you guys, let's get into this week's episode. And I'm going to start this week with a question I got from a listener 
Tony emailed me recently, and he had a pretty good question. And I just want to say thanks, Tony. Uh, If you're listening, I really appreciate you taking the time to send in this question. Tony hails from Texas in the US of A. And his issue was that he has been making edibles or making infusions as well, I guess both. And he's been finding that he hasn't been feeling the effects. And he tried a couple different methods. He first infused an oil, and then the second time he infused a butter. First time, I think he said, I don't have the email right in front of me, but I think he said he made brownies. And then with the butter, he made some cookies. Follow package directions, follow my advice to the tea. And of course, if you're following my advice, you should have amazing edibles to be eating. Well, he did mention an important thing. And I should also mention he was decarbing as well. So he has all the steps in there. But he mentioned after he made the cookies that his wife got really high. Well, I'm saying really high. He actually said his wife got wrecked. So clearly there's nothing wrong with his skill as a home cook making these edibles because somebody's enjoying them, even if it's not him. But he's frustrated, of course, because he's not feeling high. And naturally, I'd be pretty frustrated about that too. So what do you do? You just have to start increasing your dose. You don't have to throw away that batch of cookies. Obviously, those are still really good. The cookies and the brownies are probably still delicious to eat. Your wife's clearly going to be able to enjoy them. What I recommended to him is to try eating more in incremental levels. So I suggested he figure out the potency of the cookies approximately for each one. And then based on that, start maybe with another quarter cookie or a half cookie. So you're eating a cookie and a half or a cookie and a quarter at your next opportunity. And then seeing if that has an effect. And if that works, or if it doesn't work, then you increase it a little bit more. So you add another quarter cookie or another half cookie. So maybe you're having to eat, you know, a cookie and three quarters or two cookies on your next time that you have a chance to to figure it out. And you just keep going up from there until you hit that sweet spot. And then you'll be able to work backwards and figure out how much you need to be adding into your butter when you're making your infusions to get to a potency level that will work for you. Now, the tricky thing is, of course, clearly Tony and his wife have different tolerance levels. So you have to be sure that you're labeling everything carefully. And Tony, go slow when you are, when you're figuring out your tolerance level so that you don't overdo it and end up getting yourself way too high. Cause it can be pretty easy to do that. I know people get super anxious to figure out that number, but it's sort of part of the process and it's part of the fun. And if you look at it from that perspective, then you won't be disappointed. Yeah, it can be frustrating when you don't just eat that cookie and magically get high as fuck. Obviously, we all want that, but life doesn't work like that most of the time. So just build on it incrementally. And once you find that sweet spot where you know that that's a good level of high for you, then you can work back from there. And it, again, it's all part of the process, part of the fun. So keep at it, Tony. If you guys are having any other issues with any of your edibles, or if you have any questions about anything else in general, just give me a give me a note, send me a note at bitemepodcast at fastmail.com. I would love to hear from you. So the history of edibles, you know, we really take it for granted sometimes that we live in a world where you can in some places, well, I'm fortunate enough to live in a, in a country where cannabis is legal. I can walk into a, a dispensary and buy my edibles. I can make them myself. My friends can make them. You know, we, we often take that for granted. But where did edibles come from? I mean, we know we've been using cannabis historically uh, around the world 
for thousands of years. And it appears Bang Tea is one of the first reported places where cannabis was used as an edible. Bang was was useful in helping to cure fevers, sunstrokes, dysentery. It could help with digestion, clearing phlegm from your throat, and some believed it even would help speech impediments. And it was often used to treat diseases like malaria and uh, rheumatism. They also suggested warriors would drink bang tea to steal their nerves, and newlyweds could consume bang tea to increase their libido. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd want to get all fucked up before going into war. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. It's really hard to say. We live pretty comfortable lives these days, but I don't know about that one. It seems like it might freak me out more than steal my nerves, but maybe they had the right potency dialed in for that particular task at hand. As for increasing libido, I could definitely see that. And hey, if bang tea helps with sunstroke, then I'll take the sun and enjoy some bang tea afterwards. And of course, cannabis has a long-held reputation in India for its religious and spiritual implications, especially in Hinduism. Now, interestingly, when the British arrived in colonial India, you would think that the Brits would be all poo-pooing the use of cannabis in India that was so widespread and used by pretty well everybody, it seems. But they commissioned a large-scale study known as the Indian Hemp Drug Commission's Report. No, sorry, I said that wrong. The Indian Drug, the Indian Hemp Drugs Commission Report of 1894. They certainly had a long enough title for it. And Indian and British medical experts conducted interviews. In fact, 1,193 of them, which is quite a number of interviews, a pretty good source of data. And that was across 30 cities. And this was to determine the social and moral implications of the use of cannabis. And obviously, they had reams of data after doing all these interviews. And the overwhelming consensus, you may be surprised to learn, that prohibition would be unjustifiable and that moderate cannabis was harmless both socially and physically. Well, I think we could probably all agree on that, seeing as we're all people who love cannabis, and that's why we're listening to this show and creating our own edibles. But it's interesting that you fast forward so many years, and in the United States, I guess North America, because it was also prohibited in Canada where I live, that they came to different conclusions. But of course, their motivations were probably completely different for coming to those new conclusions that they did in the United States. Now, the French were also infusing coffee and tea with hashish a long time ago as well. I found that in a note somewhere when I was doing some research on this. And in the 1800s, that's when cannabis tinctures, which were really popular in the US of A, that's when they started to make their appearance in the, in North America as well. And it appears North America was pretty late to the game on this one in the 1800s, but cannabis tinctures was widely used in a lot of different ways in North America at that time for all kinds of ailments besides just recreational uses. And it wasn't until I think like the 1920s that they decided to prohibit the use of cannabis and thus began the reefer madness era and the war on drugs, which as we all know, has been incredibly successful, right? So, so successful. Now, it's interesting, too, because you have a couple of other people in North America who are pretty 
are pretty good at thumbing their nose to authorities when it comes to edibles specifically. So we have Alice B. Talkless. Talkless? I'm not sure how to say her name, but she was somebody, she had moved to San Francisco and she produced a 1954 cookbook. She has all kinds of interesting credentials. She was the girlfriend of Gertrude Stein and she cooked for all kinds of famous people. One name that you may recognize is Picasso. She had a very interesting life and lived for a long time in Paris, but she created a cookbook in 1954, aptly named the Alice B. Toklas Cookbook, and it included a recipe for hashish fudge, which interestingly uh, contains no chocolate, and the wheat in it was not decarbed. And it's a no-bake recipe. So some of them have likened, some people have likened this to some of the traditional Indian preparations for cannabis edibles as well. So she included this recipe in a cookbook in 1954, long before the 60s, obviously, when people were trying to, or were more openly experimenting with cannabis. And you can actually still find that cookbook on Amazon. Uh, It's got sort of a a cult following now, or, you know, sort of one of those cult classics. However, at the same time, most of the cookbook is more traditional French cuisine. And the hashish fudge is the only recipe that that is cannabis infused. But this woman did create this cannabis infused recipe as inspired from somebody that she knew, can't remember who it was, but she was inspired to create this recipe. And from what I can tell, it would probably get you really high. The interesting thing is she used fresh flour for this one because in a lot of these traditional preparations like the bang tea, they're using fresh flour, not dried or decarbed flour. And that stuff can still get you high. Fun fact, in the dispensary I work at, every container of cannabis that we sell has a label on it that obviously says how potent that cannabis is. And there's always, and that's the number people are looking for. They're like, if I'm buying, if I'm buying dried bud, I want to know that it's, you know, 19% THC, but there's also always a number on there and it will be like THC and it'll give a number. And essentially the number is how high you, how potent that is. If you're just to take the bud out of the container and eat it. Now, of course that's dried flour, but that can still get you high. You're just not maximizing your benefits of the potency and how it can affect your body when you eat it raw like that, either dried or fresh. And when you're decarbing, you are unlocking a lot of that potential that's going to make your flour go a lot further. So this hashish recipe, which actually also does not contain any hash, does... um, can get you high, but you're probably going to have to use more of it to get the same effects that you would otherwise. And another woman in the 1970s, Mary Jane Ratburn is called the mother of the pot brownie. And she was also in San Francisco, I think just after World War II. And at the height, she did get busted a couple of times, but she was a single mother and she was sort of a lifelong waitress and her daughter was tragically killed at the age of 22. And so she was sort of fending for herself in a time of time of, of the world where women didn't typically do that. They were expected to sort of marry off and, you know, be housewives or, or what have you. But she was making, it said 600 brownies a week and she was selling them for about 20 bucks a dozen. And if you do the math, she was basically making $1,000 a week 
in the 1970s. And she was doing this in part to build up her retirement fund because obviously she had no one else that she could rely on. And she must have been a savvy businesswoman to be doing that because I did the calculations and in the 70s, she was making a thousand US dollars a week. And in a lot of places by today's standards, that's still a great living. So, you know, she really had she must have really had an amazing brownie recipe that she was creating. And she did get busted a couple of times, but what happened to her in the end? So in the end, it says here that Ratburn did appear twice in court for cannabis. At her last trial in 1992, at the age of 70, she faced a serious charge of felony transport. Just like zealots at a witch trial, Ratburn's prosecution allegedly whispered, I'm going to kick this old lady's ass, proposing she be sentenced to five years in jail. Armored with her daughter's pin and a well-known legacy of charity work, along with an international fame as the grandma who baked pop brownies for sick people, the judge dismissed all charges. And thank the Lord, because the world certainly needs more pioneering women like that to take the charge and help people, because she was making a lot of these brownies for people um, during the AIDS epidemic and just helping people who were really, really sick and were using edibles to find some relief. And the article closes out with this one, and I'll link to these articles in the show notes if you want to read the full thing, the full articles about them, but where was it? That was really good. So they did create a namesake day for her in San Francisco. And in 1992, she stood in front of the San Francisco City Hall with a crowd of her supporters, swung her arms into the air and said, if the narcs think I'm going to stop baking brownies for my kids with AIDS, they can go fuck themselves in Macy's window. And you know what? I kind of like her. I kind of like her grit. And this woman was a strong, powerful woman. And it's, and it's because of people like this that we can enjoy cannabis edibles the way we do today. We can make them up in our kitchen. We can share them with friends and family. And in a lot of places, we can go buy them legally. And thank goodness for the people who came before us to allow that to happen. So in any case, bang tea is kind of where it all started, they think. And I'm sure there's obviously traditions of using various edibles in other cultures. Um, I'm sure ancient Chinese cultures, obviously uh, Native American cultures. I did try to find any kind of books out there on the history of edibles specifically, but didn't seem to find any. So if you know of any books like that, please send me a message and let me know because I'd be pretty interested in checking that out. And more because I'm specifically looking for the for the edibles side of thing versus just the general use of cannabis. But the bang tea. So I ended up making this one twice. And you can still find bang tea. If you were to go to India today, there are stalls, there are government licensed places where you can purchase this stuff. And if you've ever had any of that and you've been to India, traveled there and tried it, I would love to hear about that as well to see how it compares to some of these like versions you find online. The one article I found that was talking about the history of of cannabis and bang tea 
had a recipe and it was a common bang recipe. So I am, I, what I did is I tried to make it. And this one used fresh cannabis leaves and flowers. And it just so happens that it wasn't that long ago that I harvested my own plants in Canada. We're allowed to grow four plants in our backyard. And I took advantage of that new rule. And so I used some of the fresh flower and leaves and I followed the directions, though I did make a half batch because my husband lately has been pretty adamant that he's going to be avoiding edibles for a certain period of time. And even though I sometimes gently offer him some of what I am enjoying, he has been so far refusing. And that's fine. We're all entitled to our own our own sovereignty when it comes to that kind of thing. And of course, cannabis isn't for everyone. But if you're listening to this, it probably is for you. So I will link to this this recipe in the show notes, but I did a half recipe because it called for two cups of water and three cups of warm milk. So obviously that makes quite a bit. And then it was the up to a half ounce of fresh cannabis leaves. Of course, I only used a quarter ounce because I was doing half the recipe and it calls for a variety of spices and then a little bit of sugar or honey. And it had some things for garnish. So I followed the directions. And this one wasn't necessarily the fastest one to make. You're you're boiling water and then you're adding the cannabis and steeping it for a bit. Then you're straining that the cannabis and then you're collecting the water and then you're using some of that to pulverize the, the weed in a mortar and pestle with the some milk and water. There's a, quite a few steps to it. And so I followed all the steps. It did suggest at the end that you chill it and then serve. But again, I mentioned, and as we all know, it's October and sometimes Octobers in Canada can be pretty cool. So I preferred to drink it warm. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't like it. I didn't like it that much. And it could very well be my preparation and how I did it. I'm no bang tea expert by any means, but I went through all these steps and I was just like, "Mm, I'm not sure. And it may have given me a tummy ache. I don't know. But that it also could have been me. So I'll link to it if you want to give it a shot. It's pretty interesting to see how it's created in this multi-step process. And it, even though it looks like a lot of directions, it's not that hard to do. But And it does smell really nice too with all the herbs that you're using. You're using garam masala, ground ginger, fennel, anise, cardamom. It did call for rose water as well, which I left out because I don't have half a teaspoon of rose water and I'm not about to run out for a recipe where I'm actually having it. So I need a quarter teaspoon of rose water. I'm not sure that would have made a huge difference, but I did have all the spices and so the spices do make it smell really nice. And it was, you know, a warm milk beverage. It was, it was in theory, enjoyable. I just, there's just something about it. But if you start looking around on the internet, maybe you'll find a couple more bang tea recipes that I can post in the show notes along with this one. I did try a faster one and I did like that one a lot better. And this was sort of like a quickie bang tea variety that's going to be a lot faster to put together. And essentially for that one, you need a tea bag. You need two teaspoons of butter, regular butter, not infused, although maybe you could make it stronger by using infused butter, of course, and a half gram of ground cannabis or other botanicals. And of course, we're using the the cannabis as the botanical in this particular case. And I didn't use fresh this time. I used decarbed and because it only needed a little bit, I used decarbed. Um, what did I use? I used the already vaped cannabis for my Dynavap that I've been using. And because that stuff's already ground up and it's also f- 
you know, decarbed flour essentially, and I only needed a little bit, that's what I ended up using and it worked really great. So if you guys have a dry herb vaporizer, you can certainly use that already vaped cannabis. It's already decarbed. You can use that in a tea just like this and it's super easy to do. And basically you're bringing water to a boil and then you let it simmer. You add the butter and the ground marijuana and then you simmer it for about 30 to 40 minutes. I just did it for 30 minutes. And then you strain that hot liquid into a glass container. I just strained it into like a Pyrex measuring cup and you let it cool and then you add a tea bag. And I just threw in a bag of like, I don't know, something like English breakfast tea or something like that. It seemed like the most appropriate, but I guess you could add whatever is your preference, which ironically enough, I'm not a big fan of black tea, but that's what I used. And then you let it steep, let the tea bag steep for three to five minutes, and then you drink it. And that was actually really nice. And I made sure I drank that. It was sort of after dinner that I was enjoying this. So you can put this on to steep while you're maybe tidying up after dinner or at the end of the day or whatever. And then you have a nice warm tea to enjoy. And not only are you feeling the warming effects of the warm beverage itself, but the effects of the cannabis too. And I made mine pretty, it wasn't very potent, but it was relaxing. It was sort of a lower dose on this, I think, for what your tolerance level is, I think would be is really nice because it sort of sets the tone for your evening. And then if you want to layer up with you know, more edibles or smoking or whatever, you can do that. But for an after dinner tea, it's it was a really nice way to relax at the end of the evening. So I'll be sure to include that recipe as well. So there you have it, you guys. That's pretty much it for this brief history of edibles this week. I hope you give a chance, give it, get a chance to try out one of these teas. Seriously, that second one I mentioned is a really lovely way to finish off an evening. And I just want to finish out too by mentioning a couple of things that I have going on with the website for you guys, because I was talking about Tony's question earlier which begs the question, figuring out the potency. And I know sometimes you can, it's easy to sort of talk about this more over and over and over, but it's so important that you know what your potency is and you're figuring out the potency for some of your stuff. But sometimes the calculations can seem a little laborious, don't they? So I'm working on a new thing for the website. If you go to my website right now under the resources tab, there is some a, uh, a page so you can calculate your dose and it walks you through the steps on how to do that yourself. And it's great. And it's not, you know, it's pretty straightforward, but if you're like some people, you're not a big math person or it just seems too daunting, I am working on a calculator so that soon you'll be able to go to the website and just punch in the numbers and it will calculate it for you. And I'm hoping to have this up, well, actually around the time of this recording or if not uh, sooner. But that is something for you guys to look forward to. When that is live, I will be certainly trumpeting that from the rooftop so you guys can go check it out and make use of that. And another thing that I'm going to be having coming in are Bite Me podcast, Bite Me, the show about edibles, aprons. I'm super excited about this. It's a little something I'm bringing in for Christmas. There won't be very many of them because it's the first time I'm trying anything like this. But these aprons are going to be great. They're going to have, they're going to be dark green, reminiscent of our favorite plant. And they, and of course, to hide stains and that kind of thing for when you're cooking in the kitchen. It's going to have the Bite Me show about edibles uh, text and stuff on the front. And these aprons are made in Canada. It was important to me that they were, you know, made within North America. So I'm pretty excited about getting these in too. So when those are live on the website. If you want to check those out, then 
I'll, I would be most gracious if you did. And it's certainly something you might think of as a gift idea for your friends and family. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Let me know what you think. You can always send me an email once again at bitemepodcast at fastmail.com. And you can always leave a review or share this episode with friends and family that you think might enjoy it. All these things help to support the show. And of course, as always, the biggest thing you can do to support the show is just to listen to it. And if you enjoyed it, send it to somebody you think would also enjoy it. My advertising budget is pretty well nil, you guys. So I really do rely on a lot of word of mouth. And if you've been doing that, I appreciate you for doing so. And of course, if you're so inclined, you can always buy me a cookie that's over there on the website. I think it's at the bottom of the show notes as well. And that also helps the show for all these projects that I am working on to keep it going for you guys. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Make some of that tea. Let me know what you think. And until next week, my friends, stay high. Stay high.